One mom makes huge changes while serving on her country school board. It might sound far-fetched, but Veronica Gemma is proof that it can really happen. Before COVID hit America, former homeschool mom Veronica was already worried about what was happening in her local Pennsylvania schools. She decided to run for school board and with her fellow determined candidates, flipped three seats from liberal to conservative in one year. But little did she know that shutdowns and critical race theory would present the biggest challenges yet. Welcome to the State of Education with Melvin Adams. I am Melvin Adams, your host, and thank you so much for joining us. Our guest today is Veronica Gemma. She is a resident of York County, Pennsylvania. Veronica served on the York County School Board during the time of COVID and experienced the challenges that brought to the community, the families, the school leadership. So today we're going to dig into her story a little bit and see what we might be able to learn from it. So Veronica, welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me, Melvin. Awesome. Well, let's just jump right in. Why don't we start by you telling us a little more about yourself, your background, your family, uh, maybe a quick glimpse into your community and kind of wrap up why, why you decided to run for school board. Okay, well, um, I was born and raised in New York in a traditional um, family, Catholic family, and Irish, Catholic Irish family. And I, um, you know, grew up there and later left Long Island and we moved out of state, moved to Arizona, had our three children. Um, I have a, an older son and two daughters. Um, 24 is my son and two daughters. 20 and 19. They are both in college. My 20-year-old my daughter is studying abroad right now in uh, Italy, and my youngest daughter is in college out in Utah. Um, they were all athletes, but when, I when we decided to leave Arizona and move back to the east, we ended up here in York County, and at that time, I decided to homeschool my children. So for the next 10 or so years, I homeschooled the three children in a classical um, academic focus. And mm -hmm. it was a roller coaster, but very worth it uh, because I feel that I had the, um, the influence in my children's most important developmental years. And mm -hmm. my husband and I teamed together and we became a part of this community homeschooling and um, creating an environment for them to grow up in uh, without too much outside um, negative influences, but they were also very involved in community, volunteering, sports. They did a lot of extracurricular with um, the local community theater. They did play sports on the local public school uh, sports teams. Um, so they were very involved in, they were very involved in the community as well. Um, when they entered middle school, high school, they started showing desire to go to public school. And um, it took us a couple of years to make the decision, but we did. And that's when I realized what was going on in public school. So I kept a close watch on it. And then after my son was graduated, uh, my daughters were middle school, ninth grade, eighth grade. I decided to run for school board. 
the president at the time was a huge inspiration to me to get involved in my community. I didn't like what I saw coming home. I didn't like the lack of discipline in the classrooms. Um, it was just a lot of red flags based on what I believe education should be for our children academically and extracurricular. Um, I, I wanted to get more involved. So I decided to run for school board, really not knowing anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, so once I, I decided that I, I took the, the proper steps to get on the ballot and um, a couple of other candidates came alongside me and sort of mentored me in the process. And we won. We flipped mm. three seats. Which well, congratulations. Was, thank you. Which was a great success at the time. Sure. Sure. Excellent. Well, you know, York, Pennsylvania, I'm somewhat familiar with that area. It's kind of south central mm -hmm. uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I would say typically quite conservative, a lot of Amish in that community and near that community and quite quite a generally a conservative community. Um, so in, you know, in that community, what are some of the things you saw? Maybe let's start with what was kind of the makeup of the board. So you said there were three of you that got on together. Uh, and so how many members were on the board? You know, what was the general makeup of the board? Do you feel like it reflected the community well? Well, a school board is made up of nine voting members. Then you have the solicitor and the superintendent. At the time, parents, were we weren't engaged. We were just complacent trusting the public school system, government schools to just basically raise their children. Um, mm -hmm. Again, thankfully, I had mine home in those developmental, very important developmental years. Uh, so they even saw some red flags. So the school board, it, like I said, made up of nine voting members. And at the time, it was just rubber stamp school board directors. Whatever the superintendent wanted, they did. They spent way too much money. They didn't pay attention to curriculum. They were letting the rating and the math scores, scores slide. Discipline is a mess in public school all over the country. Um, so at the time there were two Republicans or conservatives, if you wanna say, and the rest were Democrats on that board. Um, the most conservative was a fellow swim parent, my son swam, and he, he was a voice but he was a lone voice for the most part because the other um, Republican was more middle, didn't really fight much. So when we came in, we were able to unseat three Democrats. So then we became um, four mm -hmm. to five. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the majority yet. Um, but the plan was for 2019, we were gonna get the majority. So the next election cycle, we ran five candidates and we won. So then we became an eight to one conservative board when it was mm -hmm. really eight to one Democrat board two years prior. So it wow. was a great success. You, you were saying that it was kind of rubber stamping. The previous board had basically been rubber stamping everything that was just given to him by the superintendent and others in the system. Talk to us a little bit more about that. What were some of the issues and, uh, you know, the, what were the issues that 
got you and others motivated to try to bring about change on the board? Uh, and, you know, I guess I look at boards as, you know, we, why do we elect them anyway? Right. So, I mean, I think it's for, to provide good leadership and good leadership provides good oversight. And so talk to us about what was going on. What were the goals of, of the changes that you and others uh, tried to accomplish? While they were raising taxes, the, the main reason I wanted to get on the board was to have more um, insight and more um, oversight of curriculum um, and bring in improved curriculum programs relating to reading and math. Um, th th those were my goals. And it didn't seem like I went to these board meetings prior to being on the board and it didn't seem like they ever talked about curriculum. It was all about the dollars. And then they were spending money on a new football field and they, you know, they spent a million dollars on a new football field that wasn't necessary. Um, some policy changes that were alarming to include the gender identity as far as, you know, no discrimination against. Um, so things like that. And, and every action meeting, we board members vote on the topics on the agenda. And it's the superintendent recommends you to vote on this. The superintendent recommends you to vote on this. And every time he really never got any pushback. And there were some conversation here and there, and you would think it was going in the right direction. But then at the end of the day, when they voted, they voted in favor of what the superintendent wanted. Let me just interrupt with a quick question right there. So um, just for our audience, a lot of times, you know, people think, OK, so why is that? And uh, what some people don't realize is a lot of times there's an attorney uh, that is also engaged with the board and often representing the the association, uh, the, the school board association, uh, though actually supposedly working for that particular board. Uh, and often then that attorney uh, is the one who really says, look, you, you got to vote this way or that way. And here's why. So was that going on as well? That does go on. Yes. And something I learned being on school board is three people run the district. It's a superintendent, the solicitor, who is the returning attorney that you're referring to, and the board mm -hmm. president. And they have the most control. Um, the administrations of the districts tell the, the school boards only enough, not fully uh, full picture of, of, of situations, even when it comes to discipline and, and reading scores from discipline to reading scores. It's, it's not the full story. It's only what they want you to know. Um, but there are ways around that. And that is something that I started the path that I started to go down, um, mm -hmm. especially when COVID hit. So tell us more about that. Um, you know, so we all kind of just went along with it. When we first had the, the shutdowns, we actually thought we were going to be reopened in two weeks. And obviously, we all know that never happened. Um, my daughter happened to be a senior that year, so she didn't have a graduation or a prom, um, as many students that year didn't uh, for 2020. But it was after a couple of months School was out, so it was the summer. So then we were having meetings and it was all about, okay, what do we do? Do we, do we reopen? 
I wanted to reopen along with a few other other board members. Mm-hmm. Um, we felt that remote learning was a, a disaster and it was tragic for our children. They fell behind, even further behind of what they already were. So um, not to mental, not to mention depression and mental illness issues started to take place. So it came to August right before school started that we had long hours board meetings discussing this. The room was standing room only with parents, most parents wanting to open. I felt like I had a really good um, feel for what the community wanted based on parents contacting me, even some teachers contacting me telling the the honest truth is that we need to open. Mm -hmm. So we did. And it was um, predicted that we would be shut down in two weeks, but that never happened. And so they, um, you know, the kids had to wear masks, which they really didn't, but but they enforced a mandate that was illegal. Um, But we were open and the kids were getting back. Um, So it was a rough road. It really was a rough road. These children are still um, suffering from the aftermath of that time. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you guys got the schools open, and that was a decision of the board, correct? Yes, it was. Okay. Um, and then, as you were going on forward with that, um, as as I understand it, you, you know, as you said earlier, you were focused on curriculum issues and perhaps particularly uh, content, uh, book content and so forth. Uh, you know, the racial issues, the uh, sexual orientation type issues and so forth. Um, talk to us a little bit more about what you saw going on and uh, what you tried to do about it, what the board was trying to accomplish uh, and kind of how that whole thing rolled out. Well, most of the board was trying to brush it under the rug. Um, on top of COVID and the mask mandate and keeping schools open, we had a diversity committee that the board, the school board really didn't know much about because it was a committee that was developed by our superintendent without board approval. Um, so like I said, on top of COVID and keeping schools open and the mandates, we were also dealing with the uh, critical race theory sneaking into our classrooms. Um, back then in the summer of 2020, when our cities were being burned down, the diversity committee took it upon themselves with the superintendent's direction to create an anti-racism uh, curriculum to be implemented in as young as kindergarten all through K through 12. So I um, started hearing a little bit about that. So I started sitting in the diversity committee meetings because I wanted to to be informed of what they were honestly talking about. And sure enough, it was a book list that they were creating that was focused on the critical race theory um, concepts of the oppressed versus the oppressor, you know, white privilege, white saviorism, which really kind of broke my heart too, because I I had a conversation with the superintendent about it. And I said, why can't we just approach this 
approach this in a different way and empower all of these children to realize that they are created to do great things. And it's the teacher's job to help them realize their gifts and their talents starting in kindergarten, rather than saying you are less than, so you deserve this. And that's not something they want to even discuss. So are you talking about uh, the superintendent didn't want to discuss it, or was it the committee that was working on these equity issues that didn't want to discuss it, or it was just a conflict of, of ideas fundamentally, and they didn't want to go there? It was their ideology that they didn't want to adjust. They, um, I, I think... The committee and the people, and, and mind you, the committee was consisted of people of all color, you know, mm-hmm. so, and, and teachers and parents and community members that, again, were not approved by the school board. A committee is supposed to be approved by the school board as well as its mem- members. Um, the, the committee probably thought I was crazy. Superintendent was battling that out with me. Um, he basically didn't allow the committee to, um, join in that debate. And I think that it's so far gone that they just do not even understand the concept of self-reliance and teaching our children self-reliance. It is something that they think that that there's um, no way that can be taught or it's realistic to think that, I don't even want to use color of skin because I can't, you know, I remember back in those, in that time, I hated saying white and black, but it's almost as if they they believe that the, the black children cannot be taught self-reliance. And they, instead of, we're all created equal and we all have these opportunities. And every student that walks through these doors has the same opportunity as the next one, as long as they wanna do the work and as long as they're encouraged and inspired. This episode of The State of Education with Melvin Adams was made possible by the generous support of donors like you. Here at the Noah Webster Educational Foundation, we want to make it easier for you to engage with your local government and school system. Whether you're a parent, educator, legislator, or simply a concerned citizen. Before we end today's episode, here's a snippet of our next episode. The, the night, that was August 10th, I think, 2020, that night when I started asking questions, started it. There were my, maybe 50 people on the, on the live stream. The next week, August 17th, it went up to 952. Hmm. People were starting to listen and get engaged. They wanted to know what was going on in their, in their kids' classrooms. Curious how you can make a difference? Learn about more ways you can help by visiting our website at www.nwef.org. We'll see you next time on The State of Education with Melvin Adams.